I'm grateful for the opportunity that we've had to be here this morning, thankful for the invitation and the song service and the prayer and, and the preaching that we've already heard, Brother Ronnie. <laughs> we are thankful for your love and kindness towards us and uh, to be able to have this opportunity to reacquaint ourselves with you uh, once again. I do desire an interest in your prayers as we come before you and uh, I ask that you'd Pray that the Lord would be glorified in what we have to say. You would turn with me to the book of John, chapter 10, and just read a very familiar passage of Scripture from John, chapter 10. Verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I'd like to focus on just one small phrase in this, this morning, if the Lord would help us. It says, my sheep hear my voice and, and listen to this phrase, and I know them. Our topic this morning that's been on our minds the past week or so is, is the topic, the idea of the personal nature of grace. Jesus knows his sheep. Personal nature of grace. We, we believe in two of the pillars of doctrine that we believe. Uh, one's called unconditional election. The other is limited atonement. And what they tell us, the unconditional election simply means that God chose a people. That's what election means. He chose a people and he did it without regard to any condition or characteristic of those people. And limited atonement means that the blood of Jesus Christ was applied specifically to those people that he elected, and not to any more or to any less. Now, to describe this idea of unconditional election, we have a little bit of trouble, because there's not many examples that we can give in a natural sense of unconditional election. When we go to the supermarket to buy Groceries. If we were to buy a loaf of bread, have you ever seen people do the, the firmness test on that bread? They choose the bread based off of a characteristic of the bread. It's not unconditional. Or, on the other hand, it might be random. Have you ever heard of somebody that just does a drawing? They say, well, we're, uh, we're not sure who we're going to choose. We're, we're just going to pick somebody at random, and they draw straws. The Bible calls it casting lots. But neither of these are good examples of unconditional election that God had because God knows his people. Right. He knew who they were before they were created. He knew who they were before anything was created. Before the foundation of the world, God chose his people. He knows them. And God deals with his people personally. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. This is a pillar of what we believe. And this is the nature of the love of God, which we sometimes call grace. The love of God. You know, and, and when we study in Scripture and we examine this, and the Lord, if the Lord will bless us, we'll examine some of these ideas. If the Lord will bless us to understand that this is a particular people, that this is personal love, it opens our understanding to the nature, to the true nature of the everlasting and infinite love of God. When Jesus was on the cross, who 
did he offer himself to God for? Who did he represent? Did he represent everybody? Did he just open the door wide and say, okay, all you goats come into the, the sheepfold. If you come through the gate, I'll turn you into a sheep. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Did, did, he just, did, did he just open it wide, open the gate wide for humanity? No, he chose his people. He knew them. He loved them. And this is precious to us. At first, somebody says it's unfair. If somebody says it's unfair, it's only, it's only because they don't understand. This is perfectly fair. This is not only perfectly fair, but this is the truth of the Bible. The Apostle Paul had to deal with those who said it's not fair. He said, is there unrighteousness with God? What shall we say? God forbid. There is no unrighteousness with God. But God made a choice. He made a sovereign choice, and it was an unconditional choice. Unconditional election. You know, this idea, if, <laughs> if we were to choose, I, I, I mean, can you think of anything? Anything. We talked about groceries. We can, we can talk about friends. When you choose a friend, there's conditions you place. We like to be friends with people who are respectful to us, who are kind to us, maybe who have some things in common with us. There are conditions that are placed. Even, you know, I've had the opportunity to, to uh, study a little bit of machine learning. Uh, the last, uh, last class that I took... And, and let me share this with you. Have you ever gotten emails or something with advertisements? And you say, well, I wonder how they knew that I had searched or I had spoken about Kentucky Fried Chicken. And the day after I searched Kentucky Fried Chicken, I get an advertisement from Kentucky Fried Chicken on the Internet. Have you ever wondered how that happens? Well, I learned how that happens. <laughs> they gather a lot of data. And from all this data, they are able to find, these marketing analysts are able to find correlations based off of characteristics of people, and they choose who they send these advertisements to. They know that, that if you meet these certain criteria, you're likely to be interested in this ad, and they'll target you with this ad. That's, that's how that works. That's not unconditional. You see, that's conditional. But what the Bible teaches is it's not by works, it's not by anything that we had done, because if it was by anything that we had done, none of us would make it. But what is it? It's by the unconditional election of God, that God chose his people. But he did not do it at random. And this, this, is, the, this is the key. God did not choose this people at random, even though it's unconditional. Don't read unconditional equals random. That's not true. God knew his people. God knows his people. I know my sheep. In fact, what did the Apostle Paul tell Timothy? There, were, there was a, a couple by the name of uh, Hymenius and Philetus. They had, they had uh, gone abroad the church. They had uh, spread this false doctrine that the resurrection had already happened and that there was no expectation of a future resurrection. It's clearly a false doctrine, false teaching. And it says they overthrew the faith of some. That's a bad situation. That's happened in the church through the years. That's happened in the days of the Apostle Paul. That's happened over uh, in, in the churches in, in Ephesus where Timothy was serving. That's happened throughout all history. That's happened here in America and with churches today. That false doctrine is spread. False teaching taught 
where it should not be taught in the church of God. And it says it overthrew the faith of some. But lest we would lose hope, lest we would read that with great despair, what did Paul tell Timothy? He said, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. It's particular. He knows who they are. It's not based off of whether they know him. It's not based off of whether they have faith. It's not based off of their characteristics. But it's based off of the Lord knoweth them that belong to him, them that are his. Why does he know them? Because he chose them personally and individually. We read in John chapter 10, I know them. John chapter 11, listen to the way that this is described. This is the occasion of the sickness and death of Lazarus when Jesus came to the the tomb of Lazarus and raised him from the dead. Listen to what it says. It says, just just this one verse, John chapter 11, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Jesus loved, it it doesn't say Jesus loved a whole bunch of people. Now that's true, but but it's particular. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's particular. Jesus loved them individually. It's true that Jesus loves his people as a whole, but he loves his people individually. He knows who they are. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 compares the relationship of marriage to that of Jesus with his people. And, and let me read this to you, because I, I, the, the brothers in here who are married, do you know who your wife is? I would assume you do. The, this, is the, this is the difference, and it's a big difference. If we say that Jesus loved people without regard uh, to who they are, That's very different than saying Jesus loves people personally and chose them individually. And that that difference is such a big difference, it's, it's the same as the difference as me saying I love women versus I love my wife. It's personal, you understand. Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He knows his church. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourisheth and cherisheth it, even even as the Lord is the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. This is practical to us. You know, the same way that the, the Lord inspired scripture to be written, where it intertwines doctrine and practice, we try to teach the same way in, in the sermon. We can learn a lot about how we should treat each other in a marriage from how Jesus treats his church, how Jesus treats his people. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. This is marriage. He shall leave his father and mother and and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ of the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular (laughs) so love his wife even as himself. The nature of the love of God, it's personal. He loves his people personally. And then he instructs us in the marriage relationship to love each other personally. As Christ loved the church. What about the way he... Let, let, me, let me go to the book of Luke. And... We'd like to make this point. 
the Lord, thinking of this idea, the Lord handles people individually and personally. The King James Bible is very special to me. The King James Bible makes a distinction when it addresses people in the, in the second person, it makes a distinction between plural and singular. Now, this is very important. This is very important. Because if we're personal, then we are going to talk to people in a singular sense. Now, the King James Bible, when we, when we read, if, if we are ignorant to these things, and when I say ignorant, I don't mean unintelligent, I mean unlearned. If we're ignorant about these things, if we're ignorant to the reasoning of the language that's used, we may read it and think, well, this is just written to sound formal or old. or using the, king, the queen's language or whatever we want to say. That's not the case at all. The King James Bible is written with the most precise language of any literature in the English language. The words are chosen particularly for a purpose. When the Bible uses the words thee, thou, or thy, if it starts with a T, thine, if it starts with a T, it's singular. If it uses the words you, your, or ye, if it starts with a Y, it's plural. And this is important for us. that We can learn a lot when we read the Bible this way. But just as an example, Luke chapter 22, this is shortly before the uh, arrest and, and capture of Christ. The Lord speaks to, to Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. Now, what did we say about you? Use plural. Satan hath desired to have you. That's everybody that's there. That he may sift you, everybody that's there, as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Do you see what Jesus has done? I've prayed for Simon particularly. I've prayed for thee. That thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus, in his dealing, this, and this is the way he does all of his dealing. It's personal. Jesus, the one who loved all of them there, he, but he loved Simon. And he prayed for Simon. For Peter. He prayed individually. You know, the Bible teaches us that the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's individual. This is, I know this is practical, but this, this is individual. This is personal. We go to another practical text in, in Luke chapter 15. I want you to understand what it means when I tell you that, that the love of God is personal. If, if you have the love of God in you, the Bible tells us that that is because God has already loved you. If, if you're able to love the Lord... if if you are sorry for sin, if you feel the, the guilt of sin, but you love the Lord, you love righteousness, then God bless you, you're one of his. God loves you already, or else you wouldn't have that ability. But when I tell you that God loves you personally, if the Lord will bless, I, I want to, to examine what that means. Now, this is practical. Okay, This is talking about practical repentance. This is talking about conversion. This, this is... This is not eternal, understand, but the love of God is. What man of you, if you have a hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, he, doth he not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness to go after that which is lost until he find it? 
And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when, th- when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, this is, this, these are the words of Christ, I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. He's speaking to the Pharisees here. They felt that they needed no repentance, but, but what's he saying? If there's a hundred sheep, how many is God interested in? One hundred. Not ninety-nine. He rejoices over that last one. Do you know the love of God? When we talk about the love of God, when we talk about grace, there is a wonderful aspect of it that is eternal. But there's also a wonderful aspect of it that's timely. We need grace in time. We enjoy the goodness of the love of God now. We don't wait for glory. We'll enjoy the goodness of God in its fullness in glory. But we can enjoy it now. If the Lord blesses us today, that's what we're doing today. To enjoy the goodness of God. And the Lord is concerned about each one of these sheep individually. So that there's rejoicing when he brings it back. Is he interested in 99%? No, he's interested in 100%. He wants them all. Well, what does that tell us about the love of God? Well, what does the Bible tell us? Well, we're loved with an everlasting love. That's from the prophet Jeremiah, about the 31st chapter. I've loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. If it's everlasting, that means you're not going to find the end points in time. That's what everlasting means. God loved us from before the foundation of the world. He loves us after he'll declare time to be no more. It's everlasting. And if we are loved by God, his love does not increase or decrease. It doesn't wax and wane. It doesn't come and go. It's constant. We've discussed with with humans, our love is not unconditional. Our love is... Uh, certainly able to to grow or to shrink. I've spoken with some who have said that this person I've been married to, I loved them when, when we got married, and over the time it's just, uh, they've, they've taken layer after layer after layer off, and I just don't know if I love them anymore. God, God's not that way. You're not going to separate yourself from the love of God. It's not possible. God has placed his love upon you, and the reason we can be so sure about this is if you could have separated from yourself, yourself from the love of God, you would have done it already. But he placed his love upon you while you were sinners, while you were his enemies. He placed his love upon you individually. The Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians, he, he when he was teaching them in practical way, he said, I know, he, he, he encouraged them, he said, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. You can't separate the idea of election and the idea of grace. You can't do it. God made his choice not on works. He didn't make his choice on anything other than he set his grace upon these people. He set his love upon them. And it's personal. Go to the the book of John in the 21st chapter where the Lord is dealing after his resurrection 
he's dealing with Peter and with John. I mean, he deals with Peter. He says, Peter, he asked him three times, lovest thou me? Do you remember what we said about, <laughs> do you remember what we said about thou versus you? He's asking, Peter, do you individually love me? He doesn't say, Peter, do you individually love us? Do you individually love, he says, Peter, lovest thou me? And he asked him three times. And he dealt with Peter. And then, he deals with John. Listen to how John describes himself. This is his identity, and this is why this is so important. Our identity is not that we brought ourselves into the Lord's people. Our identity is not that we just barely met the, the bar. We didn't take a test that we passed. We didn't have some kind of work that we did to, to meet a standard. We, it's none of that. Our identity in Christ is the same as John's identity. Listen to how John describes himself. And he describes himself in, in many other places in the book of John this way, but, but we'll, we'll look at this one just as an example. Verse 20, it says, Peter turning about, he seeth the, the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and saith unto, thee, unto the Lord, who is the, he that uh, betrayeth thee? Peter saw, John says, Peter saw the disciple Jesus loved. And they, they're going to have a discussion about this. Who is the disciple that Jesus loved? Verse 24 tells us, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things. It's John. John's describing himself, and he does throughout the Gospel of John, as the disciple Jesus loved. The disciple Jesus loved. Now, if I came up here, and, and this, this has struck me in the last week or so, uh, we, were, we were making an effort last week to preach on the resurrection of Lazarus last weekend. And reading that text to, that, to the congregation there at Lawyer Springs, when we read the text that Jesus loved Lazarus, and Jesus loved Martha, and Jesus loved Mary, these are the thoughts that came to my mind. The disciple Jesus loved. If I were to stand up here and tell you and describe myself and say, thank you for inviting me, the disciple Jesus loved, to come preach to you, that would be a very odd way, to say the least, an odd way of addressing myself. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. If I were to say something like that, you might naturally wonder how highly I thought of myself. Wow. <laughs> He really, he really has a, has a pretty good, you know, they call it self-esteem. He has a pretty good self-esteem. He, he says, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. But that's the way John described himself. And contrary to what our natural inclination might be when we read this, I don't believe there's a hint of pride in it at all. I believe, on the other hand, there's great humility. John said... Jesus loved Mary and Martha. Jesus loved Lazarus. John records this interaction between the Lord Jesus and Peter. John recorded many other places where Jesus worked personally. I believe when John made this statement, it was really the depth of humility. That he said, my identity is none other than I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. That he set his love upon me. Other than that, I have no claim. 
that's the case we are all in. But John was blessed to see this wonderful truth that the love of Jesus was and is personal. The disciple Jesus loved. Go to what John said, and we'll close with this from a practical side. John taught us this. It says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. The Bible teaches us about the love of God. The love that we have to God is nothing but a reflection of his love to us. And truly, the, the, when we love our fellow man, when we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we're supposed to, that's also nothing but a reflection of the love of God. We should love one another. We should love our friends. David loved Jonathan. Jonathan loved David. Jonathan loved David, it says, even as his own soul. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he described him as my beloved son. Now, Timothy wasn't Paul's son. Paul was not married. Timothy had a different earthly father. But Paul was addressing Timothy personally. My beloved son. These are scriptural examples. When we deal with each other, when we deal with God, we, the example in scripture is not that we say, well, we believe in a God, it, we don't know his name, it really doesn't matter. That's taught commonly, but that's not the way the Bible teaches. We believe in one God. And we say, as David did in the Psalms, as the heart panteth after water brooks, so panteth my soul after not many gods, not whoever it is, but after thee, after God individually, particularly, O God. My heart panteth after thee, O God. We love this one, this one who saved us. In our marriages, we've already touched on we love that one. And in our friendships, we reflect the goodness and love of God that he's given to us. We reflect that toward the people around us if we are the disciples of Christ. God loved us personally. He elected us. He saved us. And he preserves us. Safe, safe and secure in his love, which shall never be parted from us. That's the teaching of the Bible. It's given to you individually and personally. We are the people, particular, chosen, and peculiar, according to the Bible, that God loves. That's your identity. You're the disciple Jesus loved. And we're taught to shed that, to, 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 to reflect that 
abroad as his people. I thank you for a good attention and pray the Lord bless you.